Welcome to Employed, a podcast about careers. From minimum wage to six-figure incomes, high school diplomas to PhDs, you'll hear stories from different professionals, their everyday work life, and what it took to get there. Whether you're at a point of having to make a career choice, or you simply like to hear what others are passionate about, Employed is about the workers who make up our nation's economy. I'm Allie, and today we are talking about finance. It's kind of scary in that sense, you know, any little mistake you make could cost you your job or even all your licenses or even get you put in prison. Thank you, Alex, for joining me tonight. Can you introduce yourself and tell me what you do? Hello, yes. I'm Alex, um, just out here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I am a licensed wealth advisor or investment advisor and I work for a local credit union here. We cover Utah, Idaho, Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico and we're trying to branch out into Oregon right now so we're a very large growing credit union right now in the U.S. So what a wealth advisor is is it's a form of financial advisor I guess if you want to break it down to its core. Financial advisor is a very broad term. Wealth advisor does require licenses. So a lot of people also call us investment advisors um, because we are registered investment advisors. We just go by the name wealth advisor from our company. A lot of people think, oh, you help rich people spend their money. And (laughs) I get that a lot, but actually it's quite the contrary. We help anybody from all different wealth levels with saving their money, investing their money, and just trying to grow whatever assets they currently have. Can you tell me about the level of education and experience that is required for your position? There's kind of a range. There's not a specific education requirement for this job. Now, to to be an investment advisor, there are certain, you know, licenses and things you have to have. But for this job, so I have a bachelor's degree in business, and I'm start doing a, a master's degree in financial planning. And I would say the majority of advisors that are my colleagues and kind of around the country, I would say the majority of them are going to have finance or business-related bachelor's degrees. Quite a few do have master's degrees as well. However, the majority of my team, I work on a team of four advisors. Only two of us have bachelor's degrees. Uh, the other two do not. So there's no requirement to, to be a college graduate. Really, all it is is can you pass these licensing exams and how well do you understand the investment and finance world? So tell me about this licensing exam. So there's going to be a few licenses you have to have to do what we do. So the first license that I got and probably most advisors or really anyone that's going to be involved in trading stocks and things like that, you have to have a Series 7 license, which is probably the most difficult one that I will have taken. Now, it's considered one of the hardest finance tests. Now, there's certainly much harder ones out there, but this is one that most people in the industry will have taken. Basically, all it is is or allows you to trade stocks, um, bonds, mutual funds, basically trade these investments on behalf of your clients. So I got that license when I started with E-Trade Financial as a stockbroker. And it's a six-hour test. And it just basically just wants to make sure you understand 
difference between all the investments out there, different types of investments and all the laws and regulations around them. Uh, and that's why it's such a long, difficult test because there are so many laws and a lot of them sound the same and look the same, but they go by different names. After you pass that, I had to get my Series 63 license, which allowed me to be licensed in the state level. And basically that allows me to serve clients that are you know, across the country and allows me to do trades on their account. And then the step up from that to be an investment advisor and be registered as an investment advisor, you've got either the Series 65 or the Series 66. Series 65 com is combined with the Series 63, so most people will take the Series 7 and then they'll take the 65 and the 63 together. What are the demographics of your workplace, specifically gender and age? I, I would say it's a very male-dominated profession. We are starting to see a lot more females kind of come into it. And in fact, probably within the last year or so, well, we've seen more women advisors come in than than our department has seen in its last 10 years or so. And the and the main reason behind that is they're just not getting any female applicants applying to be advisors. Well, right now we have three women right now, and I, I think currently we probably have 35 to 40 total advisors. Total, that includes associates, wealth advisors, and senior wealth advisors. So yeah, obviously the percentage of women is, is very, very small. I think we're really starting to see a lot more women becoming advisors and moving into this finance industry. And, and as far as age goes, right now, probably in my department, the average age is probably 30 to 35. A little bit younger, we've got advisors as old as mid-50s right now. You know, we've had retire advisors that are retired already that were in their 60s. Right now, I would say myself and maybe a couple of other associates are probably the youngest right now. I'm at 25. I think we've got a 24-year-old. And I actually got a, a magazine from our broker-dealer, LPL Financial, who put out statistics on it and said the average age of investment advisors right now in the country was like in, the, in their 40s. They said the percentage of advisors that are age 25 and younger was four or five percent. Not a whole lot of young guys that are registered investment advisors, but so it's definitely a lot more older people. I shouldn't say older because that's even 30s and 40s is not that old. But yeah, I think most start out as, you know, interns or these back office and kind of work their way up and start to become advisors once they're in their 30s or so. What range of salary can someone typically expect to make at your position, including commissions? Yeah, and that's it's a huge range right now. It's going to depend on, you know, if you're an independent advisor or if you're an institutional advisor like I am. I'll just break it down to where I'm at right now. So I would say the range for maybe kind of a starting position might see a salary of somewhere between twenty-five to maybe $40,000, just a salary. And then commissions can come on top of that. And I would say once you're the lower level, you might be able to double your salary with the commissions, but it really depends on the, I guess, advisor team that you work under. Now, I would say the advisors that have a larger book of business and a lot more assets under management, they could see from 250000 up to 
maybe six or 700,000, which that's not very common to be that high, but LPL actually told us about their top advisor right now that he works for a credit union out in the Midwest and, you know, he's in the seven figure annual salary. And so it is such a large range. And I would say, you know, there are advisors out there that are independent advisors out in New York or Chicago or LA or something that are easily pulling, you know, $5 million a year or something. So the range is just incredibly vast. And again, it really depends on your background, education, what firm you work for. Are there any benefits to working in this field? For example, do you have more of an advantage on picking investments over other industries? So for like personal benefit or personal gain, no, it's, you're actually at quite a disadvantage because of the regulations on advisors and brokers were constantly being watched, I guess, by the regulators. So for example, I have my own personal investment account that, that I do my own trading on. And that's something I have to send statements to my broker dealer on a regular basis so they can keep track of what I'm buying, you know, make sure I'm not doing anything shady. You know, a client wants to buy up $100,000 worth of Apple. I'm not going in and hurrying buying Apple shares from my own account and then buying theirs and driving that price up and, you know, things like that. Before I like do a trade on my own account, I kind of have to stop and think like, did I do anything, you know, recently for a client's account that might look even look weird, even if there's no foul intent there. I'm, I don't mean to do anything bad. It, it's like, how is this going to look to FINRA or the SEC? So it's kind of scary in that sense, you know, any little mistake you make could cost you your job or even all your licenses or even get you put in prison. But I do think it does help me in the sense that, you know, I'm, I'm learning a lot about all these different investment products that are out there and what industries and what sectors are performing well in the market, just based off all my experience. And so in that sense, since I'm always around watching the markets and learning about different products and what's performing well for clients, I think that kind of helps me for my future investments, you know, when I get to the age where I want to retire, I know what products have worked well for our retirees. How is your progress measured and who are you managed by? So I am managed by the director of our wealth management department. We meet on a monthly basis to go over my performance. What am I doing well? What can I work on? How's my team performing? The beginning of every year, we sit down with him and we go over a goal for the year like a production goal, how much in just volume of money we want to do for the year. And then, you know, we have a kind of a commission goal, how many clients we're meeting with, things like that. Those are kind of the key things. And then I would say the biggest thing that I'm graded on, I guess, is survey scores. So the two, I guess, more senior advisors that I work under, they do a lot of the production and things like that. And then myself and the other associate, we have to make sure our clients are happy and that they're not going to take their money and leave and go somewhere else. So we're kind of in charge of making sure that the service is there. And anytime someone calls in and needs money or has questions about their account, we're the first ones to answer. And, and they, we've got to make sure they're happy at the end of that call. So a lot of my pay is based on how our survey scores are. So just sheer volume, commissions, and survey scores are the three biggest things. What are your typical work hours? I'm usually working 
50 to 60 hours a week, just depending on the time of year. Sometimes it's more, you know, if we're meeting all of our goals and we're good on business and there's no reason to stay late, we'll go home earlier or we'll take a day off or something like that. It's usually I'm in the office by 8 a.m. and I will leave around 7, 7.30, sometimes 8 or even later at night. So there, there are longer hours and a lot of that has to do with the team I'm on. We've got a very large book of business, a lot of clients, a lot of work to do. I would say the average advisor that's here at this company, they're probably closer to 40, 45, maybe 50 hours a week. Pretty standard. The, the newer advisors are going to be putting in more hours to build up their business as well. We meet clients at the bank or at the credit union. So a lot of them are here just during the credit union hours. It's really going to be all dependent upon how big your book of business is, how you're doing on your production, and how much more business you want to do. The more hours you put in, the better you're going to do. I mean, we stay late so much because we're so busy throughout the day. We don't have time to call on these referrals that the branches send us. And then once six o'clock rolls around, we're finally done with all of our paperwork. And at that point, we have time to, to go through our referrals. And, you know, we could be doing that for two to three hours at night, trying to call these people that are interested in meeting with us. So we could just blow all those off and just stick to, you know, servicing our own book, but we're always trying to grow. That's kind of why we put in more hours is because we want to keep this business growing and, and keep new clients coming in. Can you walk me through an average day at your job from the time you arrive to the office to the time you leave? So when I first walk in, I'll usually first check and make sure uh, all of our clients that are taking regular income from their accounts get monthly payments that come in from their accounts. I'll make sure we get notifications from this program we use that'll let us know if someone's short on cash and, you know, trades need to be placed or money needs to be moved around from different accounts to, to cover it. Uh, Cause that's a big thing is, you know, people that get their monthly income, they they want it. And if you miss a month, then, you know, that, that trust in us kind of goes away. So that's a really important thing that our team focuses on is making sure people get their money on time. So that usually takes about an hour or so. And then after that, I usually go through my uh, checklist for the day. Advisors that I'm working with that are meeting with big clients or something and need, you know, paperwork ready for signatures for their meetings. I'll, I'll usually prep all these appointments for the day for the senior advisors and then go through any tasks that have been sent to me from our back office team. Someone called in when you weren't here and they need to talk to you, you know, make these calls or, hey, paperwork got rejected. Can you fix it? Usually by then it's noon um, and me and the other three guys on my team will go out and get some lunch together, take an hour, hour and a half and just get away from the office spend some time together and not talk about work. Lunch is a big deal to us because it's about the only time we get an hour to not be talking to clients or not just have our faces buried in paperwork. After that, it's what paperwork has shown up on my desk uh, from the other advisors that need stuff done. So I usually have a stack of paperwork that needs to get done. And then after that, it's if everything else is done and no new things have popped up since then, then I'll hit that referral list and start making calls until I run out of people to call. So it sounds like you spend a lot of time on the phone talking to clients and referrals. So can you kind of tell me what does a phone call or what does that interaction look like? What are you guys talking about? 
it's different right now with the uh, economic climate going on. So this is sort of an outlier, I guess, and, and calls this year are definitely different than calls I would get last year. So a lot of the calls are, hey, how's my account doing? Have we rebounded since the crash in March? But I guess more on an, uh, I guess an average basis. Yeah, it's, it's someone calling in that just says, hey, I need some money right now. I've got a home renovation or hospital bills or something. Can you go in and sell some stuff and, and get me some money? So those are a lot of them. The client phone calls are very brief and not very difficult. Now, you'll get a few people that, you know, maybe they tried to transfer some money and they're having difficulties and they're, they're frustrated now. So for the most part, it's just checking up on their accounts. We learned through the whole coronavirus that, you know, we were getting dozens and dozens of calls each every single day. And people understood that their accounts were going to be down or, you know, they would have lost some value and they didn't really care about that. They just wanted to hear from us and know that they were going to be okay. So, you know, someone could have lost, you know, been down a hundred thousand dollars on their account and they just heard my voice and I was just like, look, this is what happened. You know, here's what we think is going to happen in the future. I wouldn't, you know, take all your money and run right now and lock in your losses. You're going to be fine. And then they're calm. They're like, you know what? Yep. We trust you guys. I just wanted to hear it from you. Thank you. And that, that's, that's usually how all of our clients are. You know, they, they trust us. That's why they're invested with us. They just want to hear from so us. So a lot of times they call for reassurance. Exactly. And, and right now, a lot of people are still, you know, a little bit hesitant to meet with us in person. So I would say 50% of our uh, appointments are done over the phone or over Zoom calls. Yeah, the, the, the phone calls are always very, very different and, but they're, they're fun. You know, it's nice to talk to clients. We have clients from, you know, 18 year olds that have just wanted to start investing to 90 year olds. Then everybody's just got different things to say. And it's great. It's, it's nice having a large number of clients because everybody's so different and you just get to hear some pretty awesome things from different people. So that kind of leads into this next question. How often do you interact with clients throughout the day versus how often are you just working by yourself in your office on your own? Uh, again, since we aren't doing a whole lot of appointments in person, it's I, I don't meet with a whole lot of clients and, or interact with them a whole lot. Prior to this year, you know, I, I, I might interact with a client or meet with them maybe three or four a week. Right now on the phone, it's probably call a client or get a call from a client maybe six or seven times a day. You know, these interactions can go from anywhere from five minutes to an hour long appointment. So a lot of my time is just spent in my office doing the work. But, you know, myself and the rest of my team, we all have offices right next to each other. We're all kind of secluded in our own wing of the, the branch we're in. So we're always around each other and, you know, communicating with each other, you know, yelling from office to office about different things. So I, I'm usually never just by myself in the office. So what is the best day you've had at your job when you felt a huge sense of accomplishment? Like I mentioned earlier, I don't do a lot of appointments with new clients, especially, you know, high net worth clients. Hold on. It's work. <laughs> One second. What's up? Yeah, they will be delivered tomorrow. Well, they'll be delivered tomorrow is what their delivery date is? Yeah. All right, cool. 
Thank you. Yep, you're welcome. See ya. That's another part of my job is, is sending flowers to clients. This was about a year into when I, I switched teams and joined this new team that I'm currently on. So I was still relatively new and I wasn't meeting with or wasn't doing new appointments very often, especially not with high net worth clients. So we're sitting there in this meeting, the, the appointment's at 10 o'clock, it's about 10 to 15 minutes down the road at another branch and I'm 45 rolls around and the advisor is supposed to go to the appointments, not going anywhere, our meeting's still no end in sight. Then 950 rolls around. And now I'm like, I mean, dude, I would have left by now. And then 10 o'clock rolls around. And at this point, I'm like very stressed out because even though it's not my appointment, but the advisor kind of leans over to me and says, Hey, will you go take my 10 o'clock appointment? And I'm just like, Yeah, you could have told me this, but I would have been on time. I'm not late. I'm never late. Now I'm going to show up late. I am very punctual. Anybody that knows me knows I'm not five minutes early, I'm late. And so I get there about 15, 20 minutes late to the appointment and I walk in, it's a husband and wife and I go up to them and I apologize for being late. I, I look, I'm all like, look, I'm sorry, there's just a miscommunication. And they're like, hey, wasn't, you know, this advisor supposed to be meeting us? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. He's just tied up in a meeting. So he sent me to meet with you guys. And the husband and wife look at each other and he's just like, honey, should we just go? And she's like, no, no, it's fine. He came all this way. Let's at least just talk to him for a little bit. And I knew what they were thinking. It's some 25 year old kid. What does this kid know? He's does not going to know what to do with our money. And so we go in the office and they kind of explain to me what their situation is. She's about to retire, what she should do with her 401k. I go over all these different investment options, kind of lay out exactly what I think is, is most suitable for them. And there's one one investment she really, really likes. Her husband thinks it's, it's a great idea and it's a lot of money. And so I'm like, okay, great. Here's some more information on it. You guys can go home, think about it. And then why don't we set up a follow-up appointment here in the next week or so? And they just look at each other and like, no, we're ready to sign paperwork today. Let's try and get this thing going, which is not normally what we do. We usually get all the information and, and kind of, I guess, profile the clients on the first appointment gather what all their assets are, kind of get all their background information, and then we'll usually put together a plan and then follow up and then give them the proposal and the second appointment. But nope, they were like, nope, that's great. Get all the paperwork. So I'm filling out applications and signed, filled and delivered. And, and, and because it was such a large amount, obviously there, there was a large commission that comes along with the investments we put them in. It was really satisfying just because they kind of told me up front, you know, for the first year or so we're not going to send you to these appointments you're going to sit in with us and and learn how we do it but nope what is maybe a bad day you've had at work or what's a frequent challenge you face there's a couple i know there was a stretch of time uh back in march right before um the world ended and we had to basically go through a couple, well, maybe a thousand clients or so and get them moved. All these clients, we had maybe a week to do them all. So this was the period where I was staying to work till 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, putting in 70, 75 hour work weeks, constantly on the phone all night with clients, you know, letting them know what's going on, what we want to do, if they were okay with it. And I was just so frustrated going home at 9.30 and then going straight to bed and coming back here at 7, 7.30 in the morning and just doing it all over. And 
So I like called my dad to vent about it. I was complaining about my job to my dad. And he was like, this is a job that you always wanted. You kind of knew the hours were going to suck. But he talked me out of it. I was so close to quitting. And I look back now and I'm like, yeah, it was one really, really crappy week, but it paid us well. <laughs> and it kind of showed to my bosses that I was willing to put in the time. And, and since then, you know, they've been very appreciative of, of that time we put in. Last question. If you could be doing anything else for a living and money and education were not factors, what would you be doing? So if I could be doing anything right now, I would absolutely love to be uh, like a firearms instructor. I love going shooting and shooting sports, things like that. I love taking friends out. And I think the most fun I have is, is teaching friends that are new to guns, just how to shoot, safety, things like that. That's where I get the most joy. So I think, man, if that could be a full-time job that paid as well as, you know, working in finance did, then I would absolutely run with it. Sounds like a risky job, <laughs> being around people that don't know how to shoot. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Like I, a I'm driver's sure, ed teacher. <laughs> sure it can be, but no, I mean, if, if people, other people are unsafe, I mean, I think your own safety you can you can make sure bad things don't happen for the most part that's true is there anything else you think that you need to add do you think that there's any information that we didn't cover that's important um i mean if you watch the wolf of wall street and that's what you think you know a job like this is going to be like sorry it's not the 80s anymore there's a lot more regulation now it's going to be a lot more boring <laughs> Thank you to Alex for donating his time to the show. If you or someone you know is interested in becoming a future guest, please email employedpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.